My father's mother raised my dad on her own. Her husband, my father's father, served in the trenches in World War I. He was a bugler. It was his job to use his bugle to send out command signals during combat. That meant that he had to stand up straight and he had to repeatedly put himself in the line of fire. He saw hundreds of his buddies get slaughtered, but over and over and over, he made it out alive. He got back to his trench without getting shot or hit by a shell. He was finally hit with mustard gas, and so he was sent home. When he got home, though, he was in terrible mental shape. My father was two years old. My grandfather ran off, abandoning his wife and my father. My grandfather drifted in and out of my father's life, lived on the street in Quebec, and finally died on the street when I was a boy. So my grandmother was a single mom. When she was older and had a pacemaker implanted in her chest, she came to live with my parents. So I got to know her. She was a soft-spoken woman, and she was very small. She loved talking to me. When I was in grad school getting a Ph.D. in computer science, she didn't understand that I wasn't working to be a medical doctor. She kept asking me medical questions. One day I was in my parents' living room, working on some coursework. My grandmother came into the room. She sat down next to me and said that she didn't mean to interrupt my work, but could she talk to me for a bit? I said, fine, there was no emergency on the assignment. It was something tedious and not very interesting. Then I noticed that she was holding something. It was a very old doll with hair that was partly missing and a hole in one of its knees. It was made of tan leather with a ceramic head and neck and tremendous painted detail on the face. Its arms and legs were floppy with no joints and it was stuffed with sawdust. It was stained and dirty. She told me that it was named Marcia. She said that she had had it since she was a very little girl and that it was the only thing she still had from her childhood. My grandmother told me about how, when she was a girl, she would carry Marcia everywhere, that she ate with it, slept with it, took it to school, talked to it, danced with it, and drank milk with it. Then she handed it to me and asked me if I would please take the doll, that she wanted me to have it. I said that I didn't want to take the only thing she still had from her childhood. Then she said that I was like her husband before he went crazy, that I reminded her of him and that I had always been very, very nice to her. She said that it would mean everything if I would take Marcia. She apologized for not having anything nicer to give me, and she knew, she said, that you don't give a man a doll, but could I please take it? Please. 
It was the only thing she could give me, she said. I'd like to look at a passage from the 20th chapter of Acts. It ends with a line that's extremely famous. The book of Acts is a narrative written by the author of the Gospel of Luke. It tells the story first of Peter and the apostles spreading the faith to Jews around Jerusalem after Jesus has been crucified. And then it tells the story of Paul and others spreading the faith much farther out to Gentile people all the way from Jerusalem to what is now Italy. The passage I want to look at is near the end of the story of Paul's journeys. In chapter 20, Paul travels from the wealthy port city of Ephesus in modern Turkey to Macedonia. Then he travels through Macedonia and Greece and Asia Minor, which again is in modern Turkey, and ends up back near Ephesus in a city called Miletus. He sends a messenger to get the church leaders of Ephesus to meet him in Miletus. These elders were among the very first people that Paul had converted in his missionary work, and he has returned to give a sort of farewell speech. He offers his life as an example that these elders should follow. Paul declares his absolute dedication to the task of spreading the faith. Then he relinquishes his role as their leader and as their teacher. He tells them to protect the church from wolves. To make it more compact, I've edited the passage from chapter 20 of Acts, but here is the passage. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul tells these people who will inherit the job of spreading the gospel that they'll have to work hard and that they'll have to be alert. They must help the weak, and most of all, they must be generous. They are to give and not receive. They are not to see themselves as important or powerful or better than other people. That phrase has become one of the most frequently quoted passages in the Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That is, of course, what my grandmother was doing. Paul was near the end of his mission trips. My grandmother was near the end of her life. She was very unsophisticated about medical things, but she knew that she wouldn't live much longer. She knew that she couldn't take her doll with her, that it was time to hand it off. It was time for her to teach her grandson something about generosity. 
I was very reluctant to take the doll. I told her that it was amazing how it was made. And I reminded her that I was an engineering PhD student. I told her that modern dolls were mass produced, molded out of plastic in Asia. But this doll's leather body had hundreds of hand stitches. And after all these decades, the leather was still in very good shape. The face was delicately hand-painted. It was stuffed with sawdust. It was a durable work of art that was beautiful. She smiled and said that the day she got it, she was the happiest little girl on the planet. I asked her who gave it to her. She laughed and said that she didn't even remember. Maybe it was her mother. Maybe it was her grandmother. Maybe some other relative. She didn't know if it was a birthday gift, a Christmas gift, or if it was just something that some person decided to give her. She told me that she wasn't even sure it was new when it was given to her. But giving it to me, she said, would make her very happy. Then she told me that she didn't want to die and not know who was going to be taking care of Marcia. It was then that I relented and took the doll. My grandmother beamed. I told her that I would keep it always, that I would protect Marcia, and that one day I would give it to one of my kids if I had any. In many ways, my grandmother, who was less than five feet tall and could not possibly have weighed more than 90 pounds, was very much like Paul. Her life was a long, very tough journey. She spent much of her life in poverty. She took almost nothing from the world. She gave and she did not take. She passed things forward, a love for God, a love for God's people, and of course, Marcia. Her name was Mabel Medeiros, and Marcia now sits on a shelf in my office at home. It's all I have of my grandmother but it is by far the most beautiful thing I could possibly have to remember her by. Not long after she gave me Marcia, my grandmother went on to be with God. I visited her again weeks before she died. I asked her something that I had been nervous about asking her, but I felt that it was going to be my last chance to do so. I asked her if she understood that her husband had been mentally ill. She nodded. She said that it was very tough for my father growing up without his father around and hearing stories of his father wandering from city to city, committing violent crimes and living on the street. But she said she knew that her husband was just trying to do her and her son a favor. My grandmother said that he knew that he was sick, and he knew that he had nothing to give. She said that her husband didn't want to live just taking and never being able to give to his family. She said that he believed that it was better for his son to grow up without him rather than to live with a man who had already given everything away. So he disappeared. She said that he had had some sort of a mental illness even before he went off to war, but that when he came back from the war, 
It was radically magnified, and he understood that himself. She said that it wasn't even that he was ashamed of being mentally ill. It was simply that he knew that he was so sick that he couldn't give anything to his son. The problem, of course, she said, was that stories about him made their way back to his son, my father, and that my grandfather didn't actually succeed in getting away, in removing himself from the life of his son. But he was doing the only thing he could do, trying to not be someone who had nothing to give. Remember that the most important thing we can give anyone has nothing to do with anything material, but it does call for emotional stamina, and that's what my grandfather didn't have. We can give others love, emotional protection, spiritual support, a listening ear, and true empathy when they're suffering. It can be hard to do this. We go through things in life that make it extremely difficult to reach down inside and find something genuine to give. But if we can do it, if we can give, then as it turns out, we discover that it lifts us up too. God made us want to give, not to want to take. When we ignore the calls of this world, to take rather than to give, if we decide we will not be greedy and selfish, and instead that we will give to others, then we will find ourselves soaring above the clouds. That's what my grandmother did just before she died. She gave and she was happy. She handed over her love to me and she handed over the most important possession that she owned a doll stuffed with sawdust, and she soared.